everything else. I pray, Lord, that you would um, just be in our presence today. Help me to um, speak the truth in love. Help me to unpack the word. Uh, help me to to bring out something valuable, a treasure from your from your scriptures for the folks who are here this morning. Help us to celebrate and prepare our hearts for Christmas, for the celebration of the birth of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jess and I were in Washington a few weeks ago, um, we, uh, I know, I cry when I have to get up and talk to you. It's awful. Um, when we were in Washington a few weeks ago, uh, we spent a week at this uh, pastor retreat center, and the guy who was running it gave me this uh, letter and a plaque, and the plaque's in my office. And this letter, he and his wife were in Scotland because their daughter was going to school there, and they were walking down the street one day, and there was this man walking towards this old man, and he was carrying a plate with a piece of cake wrapped in cellophane. And um, the, the, the wife, whose name I did, Jane, it's right here, Jane sees this guy and says, well, that's a really delicious-looking piece of cake, which is the sort of thing I would say if I was trying to get some of the cake. Um, and the man stopped and looked at him and said, well, haven't you read the Herald? And um, there's like, well, no, we're from America. We don't read the local paper. And he starts telling them this man was an entrepreneur. He was a very wealthy man. And he was receiving a Commander of the British Empire Award. And he had received a letter from Queen Elizabeth telling him that he would receive this award. And it was because, like, in, like one of the – I was reading up on him in preparation for talking about this – he uh, had given more money to charity than any other person in the history of the United Kingdom. And he was, he was just overjoyed, and he was super excited, and he was, he was, you know, he was filled with sort of exuberance, like a kid is how Mark, the pastor, described him. And, and he had not, the crazy thing here, watch this, he hadn't gotten the award. He had a letter saying he was going to get an award, but it was a letter from Queen Elizabeth, which is quite a thing, right? But having not received the award, he was already going to parties, and he was already celebrating, and he was already joyful. And like this letter, as I, as I was thinking about our, our text for this week, what we're going to talk about, um, you know, we're working our way through Advent, and Advent is a, is a little like Lent. It's a time of preparing yourself to celebrate Christmas. And Traditionally, it was celebrated like Lent, where you would fast and stuff like that. We don't do that anymore. Um, but it is a time where we as a church have been like focusing on, how do I get my heart right to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate the birth of Jesus? How do I get my heart right where Christmas isn't this thing that makes me want to pull my hair out like most of the service this morning, right? Like <laughs> nothing's working, and I haven't got gifts, and I... Uh, um, Oh, there's also Children's Church if kids want to go downstairs, I guess. Did I really miss that? Like, I didn't have slides, so it's not my fault. Um, the letter stood out to me as I was thinking about preparing because these folks, or this guy, right? His name was Man. Can you believe that his last name was Man? So this man, he was excited about something that hadn't happened yet because he got a promissory letter from the queen. And he believed the queen was telling him the truth. And so he accepted that the queen had told him the truth, and he was excited, and he was there for it. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to kind of, we've talked about the Old Testament, how the prophets and all that stuff prepared for the coming of Jesus, like they foretold it, and God's contracts with his people, and all of this other stuff we've worked through in the last two weeks. 
Um, we've talked about preparing our hearts and our lives. We've talked about all of this stuff. And now we're going to get to Mary and Joseph, and we're going to talk a little bit about them. Because these are people who just straight up in the last minute before Jesus is born, these are the last people who get a letter, right? Like Abraham, thousands of years before, gets a promise from God, and he believes it. And David gets a promise from God, and he believes it. But Mary and Joseph, they get a promise from God, and it's like, yeah, hey, in about a few months here, stuff's going to happen. And so they're in an unusual position. We're going to look at them. We're going to talk about preparing as we get close to deadline. Um, We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 1, and I'm going to read to you. How did I lose my glasses? Are they on my head? No. You have got them. Oh, they're in my pocket. I usually put them up front before we start. I'm not prepared today. It's like I'm not prepared for Christmas. Has everybody finished your shopping? Okay, so it's not just me. So in Luke chapter 1, we have where Mary is visited by an angel. And we're going to jump to uh, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, a bunch of things that are hidden in this if you're not from the Middle East and you're not from a thousand years ago. Okay? And like maybe Steve's that old, but most of us aren't. Um, Nothing? I got his kids to laugh. That's important. Um, This small town, Nazareth, is so small that archaeologists argued that it didn't even exist in the first century because they couldn't find it. And it wasn't until, like, centuries of digging all over the area that they finally were like, oh, here it is. There's Nazareth. Like, it's a real place. And, like, here's the well that Mary was at and all this other stuff. Um, It is a tiny town in absolutely the middle of nowhere. It was so the middle of nowhere that there was a saying that Jews would say. They would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It is a little like saying... Man, can anything good come out of West Virginia? Or can anything good come out of Loma? Kidding. Now you're going to get, man, everybody's, <laughs> nobody's laughing at my jokes. Are they that bad? Um, Between 13 and 15 years old. Buried by their mid teens. Between 13 and 15. This is a very poor person from nowhere in particular who is really young, right? And like in the ancient world, women didn't have a whole lot of social position. Um, This isn't going to work, is it? I'm just going to talk loud. Oh, there it goes. There will be no recording of this sermon posted. We're not even going to pretend. I'll preach it to an empty room later, and it will be not awful or not as awful. Um, Okay, 
So this is no one in particular. Now, the next thing that fits here is that she is betrothed. To be betrothed in the ancient world was like being engaged. An engaged person, though, is different. Like, because a betrothed person had all of the legal obligations of a married person. So she could not, like, she, well, you're engaged, not dead, right? Like, she couldn't date. She couldn't talk to other men. Like, she was essentially married, except that they weren't living together and doing the other stuff associated with living together, okay? Like, so this is a woman who um, is a virgin. She is engaged. She is not married. Now, um, the angel, and, like, you can count on your hands the number of times angels show up and talk to people. The angel shows up to this poor girl in the middle of nowhere, you know, that nobody cares about, whose name would have disappeared in history like gajillions of other people, and he announces to her. This is God's letter, right? This is God's letter that something is coming, and it's not out of the blue because this has been promised and mentioned and described over and over and over again for thousands of years. So he's there, he's talking, and uh And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. First off, probably greatly troubled because there was an angel there, right? Like that was, that would put me off my game. Um, But also because he says, You're a favored one, which means that God's got something up his sleeve. And she's like, Oh, what's about to happen? What's next? And so, um, let me get back to my text. Uh, But she was greatly troubled and saying, um, and at the saying, And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And... Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, we're going to pause here for a little context. I have never been a uh, teenage girl who was engaged, not a once. But I'm guessing about the last thing you're expecting at this point is, hey, good news, you're pregnant. And not only that, the son you're carrying is going to be called the son of the most high. And he's going to basically be the next king. And dot, 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 I can only imagine I ladies when you were planning for your wedding had this I mean it would have put you off at least a little bit right um and so she is in this position where panic is the natural state right like the angel alone causes panic but you add in pregnant by the way pregnant first century pregnant teenage unmarried girl like, today it might cause a kerfluffle. Like, 40 years ago, you might, like, have people look down on you. Um, at this time, like, you could be executed. Um, you could be, uh, div- well, we, we find out divorced is one of the options, but we'll get to that. Um, but basically, this is going to ruin her life because she is supposed to be marrying a guy, and she has not been with him, and then suddenly she's pregnant. And so she is in this, oh, my goodness, what? Now, we're going to talk for just a moment. Um there is all kinds of stuff that is said about this Jesus that is going to be born. He will name his, he'll give him the name Jesus and all of these other things. Um, Jesus means God saves his people. Okay? So this is a letter, not just, hey, this is what's going to happen in a few months here. It is, this is the big picture of what's coming. This is 
the future. This is the big deal. God is about to redeem manhood, mankind, all of humanity. He's going to redeem them through the child that you are carrying. Congratulations. And having received this, this warning, this, this tell, goodness, um, having received this tell, she um, is terrified, right? But she asks a question. She said, and Mary said to the angels, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Which I'm guessing kind of blurted out. And he responds, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born. Um, He'll be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There's a lot of stuff going on there. So, um, first off, for years and years and years, I've been a Christian for 30 some odd years. I've been a minister for 25 plus years. And I often wondered, what's up with this virgin thing? Why? If you go back to the book of Genesis, and we talked about this in an earlier week, right? In an earlier week, we talked about how when God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, he promised to send someone to fix it. And he's like announcing the curses to them. And he says to the snake, you know, that I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and your seed. And you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. And this is or his head. And that's like a reference to Jesus, it's like a very early reference to Jesus, who is the enemy of Satan, who. Um, his heel is struck, meaning he's crucified, basically, but he's resurrected, and sa- Satan's power is then crushed in this world. And so, like, like that's this prediction. Now, when God promised, like, hey, the seed of the woman, women don't have seeds. Everybody got that? I don't know a lot about farming, but I know men have seeds. Women have eggs. That's how it works. If you don't understand that, ask your mom when you get home. Have fun with that. Merry Christmas. Um, so, God has, and we talked about this, we talked about it over and over again, God has lined up so many little strands and traces and lines in history to this moment. And instead of picking the most obvious, wealthy, biggest town, you know, center of the biggest city in the country and all of this other stuff, rich girl, all of this, he didn't pick all that. He picked someone no one was going to notice. And he picked someone no or somewhere no one would care about and he picked the seed of the woman because he was meeting up with a promise he had made thousands of years later previous right like this is all coming to a head that's the last letter and now this letter you're going to have this girl or this son and then he offers her proof and he says listen elizabeth who is your relative they're like cousins or something i can't remember Um, she's in her 60s, and she's never had children. She is barren, and she is pregnant. She gives birth to John the Baptist, by the way. And so what the angel then does is he says, listen, if you don't believe me, go see Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant, and she's 60. And so you'll go, and you'll see this, and it'll be proof. Um, The angel kind of gives her a present there. He gives her proof and an opportunity to go see and so she goes to see Elizabeth, and a whole lot of stuff happens. It's really cool. We're not going to get into it right now. But lo and behold, Elizabeth is pregnant. 
and Mary hangs out for three months. She's six months pregnant. Mary hung out to make sure, right? Like, let's make sure this is actually going to happen. Why? I think it's probably for about the same reason that women sometimes take seven or eight pregnancy tests in a row, right? Like, all right, I got to know this. I got to, I got to make sure. Is she really pregnant? Maybe she just ate too much. Maybe this is, you know, like what, maybe something. And then she has John the Baptist. Um, And so God has lined all this up. He has prepared. And then actually John the Baptist, by the way, we talked about this. He's the voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way for the Lord, which is what Advent is about for us this year. Prepare your heart, prepare your life, because God is doing big things. He is coming to save you. And this, um, so this moment, like at the very end of it, and you can read it on your own. I'm going to read just a few lines of it. Mary wrote a song after, like around this time. She's hanging out, she's waiting for the baby, and she writes a song, which, by the way, I think is a good argument in favor of her being 13, because what 13-year-old girl would have a difficult time and not write a poem about it? Except it's a good poem, so she may not have been 13. Awful. Nothing. Man. Mary, all right, so, so the song she wrote is called the Magnificat, um, which is not what she called it. It's what the Latin church called it later. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And it goes on from there. But is this a sad song? No. Now, please understand, there is the distinct possibility Mary is going to be executed. There is a distinct possibility that Joseph is going to hear about this and say, yeah, no, I'm not marrying you. You're, not, you're like pregnant. I almost said something different that would get me in trouble, and I didn't. Um, and actually, it would not be unusual for a man who was engaged to find out his, his soon-to-be wife was pregnant and they hadn't been together and suddenly be upset or want to humiliate her publicly or feel humiliated himself, right? Because by the time they get married, she was almost certainly showing. And people were talking, and that's got to be brutal. That's got to be hard. That's got to be humiliating. That's got to be a lot of things. And Mary, knowing that all of this would be the case, she's still saying, praise God. Why? She got a letter. She got a letter from God that said, this is what's going to happen. For us, we don't get letters today. Like Some of us may encounter angels. I don't know. I never have. Um, But, but, um, we have the scriptures we have the lives that we see changed as a result of, like, like Christ in them. We have some people, they hold their baby for the first time and they suddenly realize there's more in the world. God has to be real if this is real. Like, this, this isn't just matter. This isn't just stuff. This is a real thing. God is moving. God has to be real. And so I have to deal with it. Whatever it is, all of us receive these letters. And some of us ignore them. Why? Because there are lots of pretty lights this time of year, and it's easy to ignore them, right? It just is. You know, I watch the Grinch again. Like, I I can recite it. It's fun, and I don't have to think about it. But this is a real thing. This is a real letter God has given us. I'm going to jump past a couple slides because I just kept talking. I don't even look at them anymore. Um, So we're going to jump to Matthew 18. So, like, part of the thing here I want you to understand, Mary was exactly the right person for the job. Why? Because she was from nowhere. Because she was nobody, 
And because she responded to God doing this by submitting to him and by being overjoyed. Instead of being angry, instead of being frustrated, instead of lashing out, instead of cursing God, she's like, God, thank you for this. This is wonderful. And I don't think most people would do that. I really don't. I think that would be hard. So we're going to jump to the book of Matthew because I think in, con- like in conjunction with Mary, I think Joseph's the right man. He was exactly the right man for the job. And so we're going to jump to Matthew 1, 18 to 24. If we were really, really, really going to dig in, we would read the genealogy. Because the first 17 verses of this chapter is a genealogy. And the reason it's there is because, as we've talked about in the last few weeks, God has made promises over and over and over again. He promised Abraham, one of your descendants, through one of your descendants, I will bless the whole world. And that's Jesus. And then later he tells David, through one of your descendants will sit on the throne in Israel forever. And that is Jesus. And that's the one we're going to look at. Luke mentions that he's of the house of David, meaning that he's in that family lineage. Matthew makes it a point to say, look, he's right here, and this is how he's related to David. This is the line. This is how he connects. He is connected to David. And so having established that, um, having established that Joseph himself is, is a potential heir to the throne of David, a potential king over Israel forever. And this would be really attractive, by the way. I mean, just as a quick aside, Israel was under the Roman boot. They had a king, and their king was awful. He was Herod the Great, who, like, kills babies when he finds out Jesus was born. He actually had a standing order that when he died, they were to execute several dozen prominent people in Jerusalem so people would weep over his death because he knew nobody was going to cry otherwise. He killed so many of his sons that Caesar said it was better to be a pig than a son in Herod's courts. And son and pig are similar in Latin. It was a play on words that you all don't get and I didn't get, so... um, but Herod was awful, and they're waiting for God's promised king, this descendant of David, who would be on the throne forever, and they're waiting for a conqueror, and they're waiting for all of this other stuff, and what they get is Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to David, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to make Mary as your, to take Mary as your wife, for she has for that which she excuse me, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call him Jesus, which means God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by his prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, Joseph goes and he marries her. Joseph's letter is probably about as hard as Mary's, right? So Mary, hey, you're pregnant. (laughs) Congratulations. Joseph notices she's pregnant, and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to have to divorce her because, right? And then God says, nope, you're marrying her. This is from me to you guys. This is your gift. This is a blessing. And I'm sure Joseph swallowed hard and prayed about it and 
decided he would marry her. He decided he would obey. I don't think it's that easy to obey, even if God tells you to, when it's going to involve you being humiliated. What do you think? I don't think it is. I don't think it's easy to love people who are unlovable. I don't think it's easy to face up to criticism or to step away from our life and say, well, this isn't as important because I got a letter from the king that says I need to do this. This is a hard thing he was put under. Now, because David is, I'm used to standing up. I got to stand up a little bit, but I hate holding the microphone because I look like a TV host. Um, oh, ouch. <laughs> There's that humor I was waiting for. Um, because he's of the line of David, the lineage for kings always goes through the father. And so David marries Mary. That was awkward. Joseph marries Mary, and then Mary's son is in the line of David automatically. And so God promised David something, and it's established. You will be, you know, your descendant will sit on the throne forever. And that was talking about Jesus. And God arranges it so this happens. And then they get married at exactly the right time because suddenly there's a census. And David has to go back to his hometown so he can be counted. Joseph, thank you, Joseph has to go back to his hometown and be counted in his hometown. That hometown is Bethlehem. Why does that matter? Because the prophets, this would be Micah, predicted that God's chosen one, his king, his Messiah, would come from from Bethlehem. By the way, Bethlehem is like six miles away from Jerusalem, but it is really a tiny place. Even today, it's tiny. But God set it up and he timed it so that all of these promises he had been making, the letters he sent to the prophets, to the kings, to, to the forefathers, to all of these guys, it all comes together in one point. So everybody had gotten a letter, everybody believed it, and now Mary and Joseph have to face it. So they go there, and the other thing that is right there in Bethlehem, and this is why it matters, there's a place called um, Migdal Eger, and I'm sure I said it wrong, I don't care. Um, it is a called the Tower Rock, and there's all kinds of crazy theories, most of them are made up, What is true is the Talmud, which is the Jewish-like commentary on the scriptures, the Talmud says that every lamb, every lamb that was sacrificed in the temple had to come from this flock at Migdal, right? It had to come from there. And so when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, there are shepherds out there watching their sheep by night. It's probably winter. There's a theory, oh, Christmas couldn't or the date of Jesus' birth couldn't have been in winter because, like, all the sheep would have to be in out of the fields because it was too cold, except that the Talmud said that the Migdal Eger had to stay in the field year-round. And so the only shepherds that are out are the ones that raise the sacrifices for the temple. And suddenly these guys, and by the way, shepherds are awful. Like, Shepherds were so disliked. I know everybody who goes to this church has heard me say this a million times. I don't care. Shepherds are, like in the ancient world, were so distrusted that they were not allowed to testify in open court. Like, so if you were a witness of a murder, you couldn't testify to it because you were a shepherd. They used to bury shepherd with a handful of wool as sort of an excuse. So when you got to heaven, you could, like, hold up your wool like, hey, I, I got an excuse. I can explain I'm a shepherd. Um, it was, I'm not making it up. It was just a whole crazy thing. Nobody liked them. They smelled bad the whole nine yards. And so the people who are first brought to see Jesus' birth, 
when a king was born, by the way, you would bring in all the wealthiest and most notable people in the community to see him. It was part of how you developed fealty. Who does he bring? The stinkiest, lowest losers in the whole area. But they're the ones who raise the sacrifice for the temple. So every lamb that was ever sacrificed for the sins of the people was born and beheld by these guys. Jesus is born. Who comes? Who shows up? Who sees him? These guys. Why? Because Jesus is that. This is part of the letter for them. Because they don't know Jesus will be sacrificed. They don't know. Most of Israel had no idea what was coming. You know, they had no idea that Jesus, this baby, it's really morbid, actually. You sing about Christmas, you talk about killing, right? Like, oh, let's kill it. I mean, it's a whole thing. But this is part of that letter. It's part of the preparation. The other reason, now, follow me here. The other reason is Mary is nobody. Joseph is a slightly older nobody from nowhere. The shepherds are nobody The wise men or the kings, neither. They were astrologers. So this is like Miss Cleo folks, right? Um, Who the Jews don't like foreigners. They also really don't like astrologers. They're the ones who show up as foreign kings to pay homage to the birth of Jesus. Like, oh, my gosh. It's like a parade of the biggest losers in the area. Why? Because Jesus did not come for people who are perfect. He did not come for people who are awesome. He did not come for people who don't need help. He came for people who screw up. He came for people who are losers. He came for people who would never, ever, ever be good enough for God. Why? Because, you know, if you imagine God up on the mountain looking down at us and and us looking up at him and and then, like, how do we climb up and be close to God? God looks down and says, you ain't never going to make it up this mountain. You're not. So I'll come down and I'll meet you there. And I'll carry you up. And that's what he does. That's what Christmas is really a celebration of. It is, at this point, a letter. The cross is going to happen. The lamb has shown up. God is going to sacrifice. Like, this is a whole thing. And it's, again, predicted a gajillion times in the Old Testament. It's unreal. would love to talk about this all day, but I won't. Merry Christmas. Um, But this is a promise. It is a big, huge, awesome promise God gave them. Now, what do we do with that? Because there's a lot of talking from me and not a lot of application. I'm going to tell you, Titus and I were walking to church this morning, and I found a penny. Right? Did you know that, like, five years ago, it cost almost two cents to make a penny, and now it costs almost four cents to make a penny? Right? <laughs> Based on infl- I don't even know how much less a penny is worth now. I've been told that inflation's over, but I'm pretty sure it's not. This penny is worth very little, right? It is. They're pretty. But I remember looking at it, holding hands with my son, and we're talking about Christmas and, you know, going to have her this afternoon to pick up a gift and all this. And I look, and I say, oh, look, there's a penny. And then I thought, do I want to pick that up? And I thought about it, and I was like, man, do I? Like, and that struck me as funny. You know Why? Because there's value, but just not very much. Now, this is where it gets interesting. My wife won this jar, and we're really grateful. 
this jar, it was in the library, and the contest was guess how much money is in it, and you get it. And somehow my wife, who is much smarter than I am, um, because poor judgment because she married me, she guessed that there's like $106 in this. That's $106. That is all of those worthless little things we step over, right? As we prepare, that's what Advent is, is preparing to worship Jesus, preparing to celebrate that God came for us. It's the little things that we do all the time that we put in us. Mary, I don't, she didn't have a lot of, she's 13, right? I think Mary probably grew up trusting God. I think she grew up doing little things every day, praying. Like, I I prayed and I feel like I'm not spiritually mature now. No. A little bit at a time. A little bit at a time and it changes you. For us, we have to add a little bit at a time. When we wake up in the morning, we thank God for the gift of Jesus. When we tell our children, you know, hey, look at our pretty tree, the green. Like, why do we have evergreen trees? Why? Because the green never dies. And those of us who are in Jesus will never die. It's like an arrow pointing to heaven. It reminds us that, like, this is what it's about. There's about a dozen other little things, but it's all symbols. And all of those little pennies you toss in the jar with your kids, they accumulate. They become something great. How do we do that? How do we accumulate? How do I throw pennies in my jar? Every morning this season, stop and talk to Jesus for a little bit. Remember, this isn't gifts. It's not Santa. I like gifts. Believe me, I do. I I like Santa. I like a lot of things about Christmas. I love carols. But those are trappings. They're additions. They're wonderful additions. They're things that are fun. But they're not everything. Everything is what the letter promised. And to be ready is to do little things every day. To tell your kids about it every day. To look at how much God did for us. Because like ultimately the story of Christmas is the story of the awesome, colossal God who created all things stepping into a baby. Right? Like through him all things were created and then they changed his diaper. Right? Colossal, cosmic God, itty bitty living space. Thank you, dear. (laughs) We add pennies by stopping and thinking about the significance of that, how huge it is, about like just reading the story, just reading the scriptures, digging into the 10 million different letters God sent in advance. All of it adds to the jar. Now, I have one last illustration here. Is is it Connor or is it Connor? Is Connor in here? No, he left. I have a Christmas gift for Connor. Dun, dun, dun. My son kicked it out a few weeks ago, and when I came home today, they were wrapping it, and then as it, we were leaving, I realized what it was, and I had to explain to Titus that the gift was sitting on my desk, and I put something on top of it, and I broke it. And they had wrapped a broken gift for Connor. (laughs) And so Titus was about to give him a present that I snatched. And so I had to explain it. Like, dude, we can't give him that present. No, sit down. Don't come up here and fight me. I'll own you. Um, The gift that he was supposed to receive was something that was not worth getting. We have to go out and buy another one today. Christmas, the Christmas you give your children, the Christmas you give your spouse, the Christmas that you receive 
this year, it can be one of several things. It can be a nicely wrapped box with a piece of trash in it. Because that's what my son was about to give Connor. Or it can be what God intended you to be. It can be God saying every nasty, ugly, dirty thing that you lay in bed and think about and can't forget and you feel humiliated and shamed over, all of that stuff is gone. Because God sent his son to take it away. That's our choice. I know what I'm going to do. Hanging in the back on the little Christmas tree, and then I'll let you go. I know I'm a little long, but I don't care. Merry Christmas. Um, On the little tree in the back on the table, there is uh, Christmas ornaments with different names for gods and different for God, different scenes, different things. There aren't a ton of them, but each family grab one. Take it with you and put it somewhere. Put it on your tree if you want. You can hang it up from your rearview mirror. You can put it on a chain and wear it around your neck as bling. You can do whatever you want with it, but put it somewhere where you'll see it. Where every time you spot it, you'll realize this is your penny. This is your moment. Toss it in the jar or leave it on the street. Talk to Jesus. Thank him. Look at the love he has for you. Look at the significance of it. Look at the purpose and meaning he has for your life. Look at how far he will go to be with you, all of it, to walk by it. And that is your choice. I'm going to pray, and I will let you go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to help us to spend this season picking up pennies. I pray that the ornaments in the lobby, that folks would pick them up, and they would take them home, and they would put them somewhere, and they would inspire them to think of your son who died for us. Your, your son who was born as, as, as a baby, you know, infinite cosmic God in, in a tiny, tiny living space for us, humbled, taught to walk, and the whole time knowing my name and knowing, knowing the names of everybody in this room and knowing that he was here for them. Pray that we would look for good gifts from you this year, that the letter you've sent us in the scriptures and in the story of Mary and just hearing our children sing about Jesus this morning, that letter would find us excited for the day we get to meet the King. In your name, amen. Have a good morning, folks. Also, there are devotions. Week three of the Advent devotions are on the table in the back. Um, that is the first time anybody's ever clapped for me, unless you were clapping that I was done, in which case that like happens a lot.